We're continuing our series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and um, I don't like to brag, but I just smashed a personal pastoral record for the slowest start to a sermon series ever. (laughs) Six weeks over 14 uh, verses, that is uh, 2.3 verses a week if you're counting. If you're fearing if we will ever get to the end of the series, you can project out, and we'll probably start picking up the pace a little bit. Uh, but it's proof of the existence of God that He is powerful to change an impatient man like myself. Um, but the pace really does make sense because Ephesians chapter 1 is so spiritually nutrient-dense that it's not possible for us to take in so much all at one time. If uh, the first... 14 verses that we've already looked at, if the theme of those verses is praise, then we could easily say the theme of the second half of chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, that theme is prayer. This morning, we're just going to get our feet wet because next week, Advent starts, and uh, we will have a focus on the Gospel of Matthew. Here's the next sermon series graphic uh, in the series titled, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So we're just getting our feet wet this morning. We'll come back to this in the new year. But how appropriate that Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 1 begins with thanksgiving. Listen carefully. These are God's words. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask again that you would speak through your Spirit who inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words 2,000 years ago, written to churches in Asia Minor, but Lord, you've preserved it over the ages, and you intend to speak these words to us freshly today. So do that, Lord. Open our ears that we might listen Open our hearts that we might receive your word and see it change us from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, um, promise into reality. Did any of you um, have a Thanksgiving host who just went on and on and on about this dish that you had to try? Raving about this perfect technique to cook the perfect turkey or this dessert that you just had to save room for because it was the bomb. You know, I'm happy to let people rant and rave about their cooking, but my uh, principle is if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. The proof, they say, is in the pudding. Um, I learned this week that the original phrase went like this, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Uh, obviously from a British background because nothing worth eating uh, is called a pudding in our world. But the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Show me the money. Is it worth all the hype? It's fine to make all kinds of amazing promises, but the question is, does it deliver the reality? Well, in Paul's epic first sentence, all of verses 3 through 14, he points to uh, one divine promise after another. Does God deliver on these promises in the reality of the lives of these Ephesian believers? That's the question. 
our passage starts with this. For this reason, dot, 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 I have not stopped giving thanks for you. For this reason. For what reason? For the reason he just gave in verses 3 through 14. Uh, Because the Father has chosen us for adoption. The Son has redeemed us by His blood and reconciled us to the Father, and the Spirit has sealed us for an inheritance. That's what we've spent the last four weeks looking through. That's why, for this reason, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And so, what we learn right away is Paul's primary motivation for giving thanks is that he sees in these Christians the fruit of God's salvation work. He sees the reality of God's promises coming to fruition. It's being unfolded before His very eyes. God has and God continues to deliver on all of these amazing promises. Uh, Secondly, um, thanksgiving for what? We all just celebrated a holiday that just doesn't cause much controversy. That's rare today. It may be except for polite disagreements over white meat versus dark meat, whole berry jelly or whole berry uh, cranberry versus jellied cranberry sauce, or um, do you call it stuffing or do you call it dressing to accompany your turkey? And no one in their right mind is offended when you actually wish them the name of the holiday and say, Happy Thanksgiving. This holiday just doesn't cause much controversy. Maybe you just... Maybe you took some time before diving into your feast and truly gave thanks, perhaps just for the day off, perhaps uh, not failing to overlook the basic things like a roof over your head and family and friends with whom to celebrate. Maybe you had special Thanksgiving to offer for a college acceptance letter. We teach our children at a very young age to say thank you right? It's basic social etiquette. When you hand a child a lollipop, when grandma brings a toy during her visit, when little Johnny is offered a cupcake at his friend's house, the question is, what do you say, Johnny? And Johnny learns very quickly, over and over at least, to say thank you. There's a special training session before the child's birthday party because you don't want Uh, them to be ripping open presents like a spoiled little prince or princess. You want them to pause and remember that some loving uh, friend or family member gave them the present. Thank you, Aunt Christine. Thank you, Nana. Nothing changes for adults. The same social rules are in effect when you receive a gift. Miss Manners used to be printed in the newspaper on a weekly basis. Miss Manners has answered hundreds of letters asking questions about the social etiquette when it comes to giving thanks. But here's the thing. Almost all of our thanks training is in relation to the proper response when you receive stuff, a gift, a present, a meal dropped off, a really big favor from a friend. You've been given something for nothing, and life's rule of thumb tells you that you should return thanks. Drop them a note. Pick up the phone. 
tell them the next time you see them. All of that is relationally healthy to recognize someone else's generosity of time and money and attention and effort. There's everything good about training a child to thank grandma or to thank the neighbor. God is honored in our gratitude. This is a good thing, but there are so many other richer reasons for giving thanks that we too often tend to ignore or never even consider. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul, author of half of the books of the New Testament, a man inspired by the Holy Spirit as he thought and wrote these letters, let me show you how and why the Apostle Paul gives thanks. Romans chapter 1. Verses 8 through 10, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse, verses 4 through 6, I always thank God, thank my God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in Him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God, thus confirming our testimony among Christ, about Christ among you. What is He saying? Promise is becoming reality. I see it at work. Every spiritual blessing in Christ coming to fruition. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. It's exactly what Paul says in our text this morning, faith and love. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. There it is again. Faith in God, love for God's people. We're not done. Finally, Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Philemon, verse 4, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. And of course, this morning's passage, Ephesians chapter 1, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That is biblical prayer. Do your prayers sound like this? Sadly, I'd have to confess mine don't. Not nearly enough, at least. The proportion is exactly backwards. Praying for circumstance praying for good things like daily bread and health, 
But failing to give thanks and pray, marveling at your faith in God and your love for God's people. Failing to pray that God's promises of every spiritual blessing in Christ would come to reality in all of our lives. This is biblical prayer. Do we pray like this? Paul just doesn't pray for circumstances, for personal benefit, for let alone for stuff. He always prays constantly, in every way, over and over, day and night. Those are the phrases that I just read, right? Repetitive, redundant, emphatic. He prays for faith in God and for love for God's people. He prays for an increase of gospel influence throughout all the land, that God's kingdom would come and that His will would be done. Paul praised God in verse 3 for every spiritual blessing in Christ, and now that naturally and instinctively flows into prayer as he thanks God for the signs that every spiritual blessing in Christ is being unleashed in God's people and now through God's people. When you hear that phrase, every spiritual blessing in Christ, do you look around and you wonder where those blessings are? Do you ever get frustrated with God because you read it, but you don't see it, you don't experience it, you don't feel it? Or do you hear this on a Sunday morning? Do you maybe come across it in your occasional Bible reading, but gloss over it? Overlook it, minimize it, because quite frankly, you instinctively prefer material blessings. And every spiritual blessing in Christ, that's a nice thing, but, you know, I, I want that new 75-inch ultra-high-definition TV that I saw in the catalog. Do you mentally move on because you prefer stuff that you can eat, things that you can hold and admire? things that you can show off and brag about. If you wonder where they are, first category, if you ever get frustrated with God, do you pray to God? Do you claim by faith, God, you have promised these things. Bring them to reality in my life. And do you do it like Paul does, day and night, constantly, always, in every way? Or do you just get frustrated with God that those blessings, the way you define them, don't just fall into your lap like an anonymous gift? And if you prefer material blessings, doesn't it make sense that you don't pray, let alone for spiritual blessings? Either way, there's a void. And Valuing material over the spiritual and the temporal, the here and now, over the eternal means valuing work and busyness and self-achievement over prayer and trusting and waiting and depending. Of all the books in the Bible, Paul's letters give us the most intimate glance at living life amongst a community of faith. 
And in these letters, there's just no such thing as Paul appreciating people without Paul praying for people. If a holiday like Thanksgiving prompts you to freshly appreciate friends and family, people in your lives, then Paul would say the most significant way you can appreciate anyone is to pray for them. We normally express, we naturally express gratitude to each other. We might drop a note in a mailbox or in an email inbox. We might bake a treat, buy a plant, give a bottle of wine, express gratitude by offering to babysit, all of these great things, but the one thing missing or ignored or pushed to the side as an afterthought is the only thing the Apostle Paul does, especially from a distance as he sits behind bars in a prison in Rome. He prays. And don't think that his prayer focus is only because he has nothing else to do in prison. He has no ability to visit. He can't send stuff because he doesn't have an income. Prayer with thanksgiving, I hope I showed you this, prayer with thanksgiving is his pattern in almost every letter. And he wasn't in prison when he wrote to the church in Rome or to the church in Corinth or to the church in Thessalonica. And yet his instinct what naturally flows out of his being and through his pen is prayer with thanksgiving. Thanking God for others, recognizing character displayed in their lives. Thanking God is consistent because it, it recognizes that the origin of, of that character, of, of any spiritual fruitfulness, of any love that resembles a pure kind of love is God Himself. He's the only source of anything beautiful. You know, the only reason President Trump reacted so emotionally, we'll, put, we'll leave it there, about the UCLA basketball players who were caught shoplifting in China, the only reason he reacted the way he did was because he wanted credit for being the reason these kids got out of jail. He demanded to be thanked to be recognized as the one who accomplished the, quote, redemption of these young men from a Chinese prison. When we see faith directed upward toward God, when we see love directed outward towards one another, this is what Paul prays about. These are the fruits of salvation. Whom do we thank? There's no compulsion from the top, demanding it insolently. There's no controversy as to the one in power who is able to accomplish these things that are so countercultural. Faith in the unseen and sacrificial, other centered love for one another. Nor is there any complaint about not getting credit. There is simply the only explanation that God has done this, quote, to the praise of His glory. The very last words preceding our text this morning, our prayer from the Apostle Paul. And so, we willingly and we naturally pray and recognize that there is no thanksgiving apart from prayer. Lastly, a few lessons in prayer. 
One, let's look for traces of grace. You know, depending on your personality, you, you maybe every now and then find something to complain about, or you all the time find everything to complain about. Everything's got something not to like. Everyone has got something about them not to like. But can you focus on something admirable? That takes intentionality. That takes effort. That, uh, that, that requires some willingness to pay attention. Can you find something to be thankful for in everyone and in every circumstance? Something to celebrate. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 that he, he prays constantly for people he's never met. And we can't even pray for people who are the closest to us. If you can't see with grace, there's nothing in between. Then you're seeing with eyes of self-righteousness. It's one or the other. Apostle John is classic in, in calling everything black or white. Don't think that there's a comfortable middle ground sitting on the fence. If you can't see with eyeglasses of grace, then you are wearing eyeglasses of self-righteousness. Look for traces of grace. It requires intentionality, and it's only motivated by love of God towards you and then the love of God overflowing from you. That's why you need to study and read and rest upon and know the truths of God's Word, the heart of the gospel of grace. There's no substitute. A second lesson in prayer is just to remember that prayer is not easy. It's more than checking off a simple box as you begin a meal. In Colossians 2, verse 1, Paul writes, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. There, there it is, Pray, contending for people he's never even met. It's this, uh, another translation puts it this way, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. That word for struggle is the same word used in Colossians chapter 4 where Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. What a phrase. What a description that, if we're honest with ourselves, all too often just doesn't look like our prayer. Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. He's not wrestling in prayer over your job interview. As important as that is to pray for, that example is not given to us in the Scriptures. He's not wrestling in prayer that you'd get over your cold and feel better or pass your exam or make enough money to buy this special treat or toy for your loved one, as generous and other-centered as that may be. No, Epaphras is wrestling in prayer always. Why? That you, the people of God, may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured, that you'd have the confidence of children in relation to your heavenly Father, Every spiritual blessing in Christ right there. Lastly, a third lesson in prayer. 
Biblical prayer is relentless. It's persistent. Remember the examples of Paul's habitual thanksgiving at the beginnings of his letters? I hope you picked up those phrases that he just piled on top of each other, always, constantly, at all times, every time, in every way, night and day. Here in Ephesians 1, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks. And in verse 17, I keep asking. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he tells the church there, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. These are all superlatives, extreme words. He doesn't hold back. He's not praying halfway. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you wonder where every spiritual blessing is? Would you really blame God that it's not just plopping into your lap? The question is, are you praying continually? Are you always wrestling day and night? Are you contending for these promises? Going back to God and saying, you promised God. I hold you to your word. Thanksgiving is done. I don't know about your fridge. There's only a little bit of turkey left in my fridge, enough for sandwiches when we get home from church. But the battle for souls, including our own, is not over. That reality does not take a holiday. All the more reason to get on our knees in desperate, confident prayer with confidence because the Father chose us for adoption into His family, and the Son redeemed us by His blood, and the Spirit sealed us. He assures us that this inheritance is our reality. Everything that is most valuable is given as a free gift by this Trinitarian God, and prayer with thanksgiving is our only natural response. Let's do that now. Lord, we come to You with thankful hearts. Yes, Lord, we're thankful for feasts. We're thankful for friends and family. We're thankful for a new church building and property. But Lord, above all, what supersedes it all, what overshadows it all, what causes all else to melt away into relative insignificance is that we give you thanks because you have provided every spiritual blessing in Christ. The Son, who is our Savior and King, has made all things possible for us to be restored to intimate relation with you. And... One day, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as a star, we will have no less days to sing your praise than when we first begun. We long for that day, and we ask, Lord Jesus, as you have come in your advent, would you advent again? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.